I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby dooby dooby doo wop. Pastor and Laura wake up. Good morning. Welcome to the Bible study with the Colanders. Good morning. We are reading through the Bible one one chapter at a time. I always want to say book. That would be a little bit longer podcast. But uh maybe one day. <laughs> we, I did that one Bible study. Books you can read in one sitting. Yeah, there are some shorter ones, but I've been doing that too, actually listening on my Bible app, trying to do a book a day. Some books are shorter and some are a lot longer. So I don't think we could ever do Proverbs or Psalms in one sitting. Not Psalms. And uh, I wouldn't want to. It's just too much to take in. But we're reading through one chapter a day. And we are in the book of Acts. And today we are doing Acts 9. And let's get started. Okay. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In the vision he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the, the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that this story is pretty commonly read, or I would say a lot of people know this story, but... It's repeated three times in the book of Acts. Really? All this is our first time With a couple of it. different details. This is the <laughs> oh, first time, okay. but Paul is going to retell it a few okay. other times. Yeah. Twice more. I do, I, something I think about when angels or Jesus appears to people is the people's reaction. 
like when um, angels appear to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, mm-hmm. and when the angel appears to Mary. Um, was that the angel Gabriel in both cases? I think so. Yeah. Um, but they're both scared, and the first thing they have to say is, do not be afraid. And in this case, Paul's, or I'm sorry, Saul, is still is afraid while he's, like, knocked down or blinded by the light. But uh, Ananias doesn't seem to be super shocked, <laughs> maybe because the Holy Spirit's come on him or he's got some gifts or something, but he's just like, I don't know, Lord. This guy doesn't sound so nice. Like, it doesn't really show his reaction to having this vision. Um, yeah, there are different reactions to angels. We always think of the the big... Uh, appearance, and that that does happen. Where you know what you think of with the shepherds falling down and Zechariah being afraid, and but there are other times where the angel of the Lord appears to people in a form that it is able to be comprehended without being afraid. You think of Abraham. Yeah. And the three strangers coming to him. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Gideon is the angel of the Lord comes to him, and he it gets at a sacrifice before anything happens. Uh, I think it is the uh, Samson's parents also see the angel of the Lord in the field and talks to him, and they don't realize it's the angel of the Lord. And even Mary, when the angel of the Lord comes in and talks to her, her first reaction is not fear. It's what kind of greeting is this that someone said to her, blessed are you who are highly favored by the Lord. So in that case too, it could be appearing more in the appearance of a man rather than displaying the glory of the heavenly angels a little bit more so this is definitely a glory not only like the bright glory fear thing but then also how they receive whatever message it is and i don't want to get too distracted by mary and zechariah but i remember when i read those i always feel like they both kind of display disbelief like how can this happen to me? I'm so old. And then Mary says, how can this happen to me? I'm still a virgin. And then the angel's reaction to them is like very different. (laughs) Zechariah is kind of like punished, like, well, you don't believe this. You can't talk until the baby's born. And Mary, it's just like, oh no, everything's fine. Like there's some reassurance. There's no like consequence for don't doubt the Lord. Anything's possible. Um, and then here, so Ananias just, you know, first he says, yes, Lord. And then he says, go, go help Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul. He's not Paul yet. Um, and then he says, I've heard all these bad things about this man, and he's here to hurt us. And then the Lord says, go. This is my chosen instrument. So he kind of, I don't know, the go has an exclamation point. Maybe that means he's kind of like, just listen to me. Don't, don't, I wouldn't tell you to do something that's bad for you. But he's also saying, you know, don't question what I'm telling you to do. Um, but he's not mad that Ananias asked it. 
I think all of it is what is in the heart of the person, which only God can read. Mm. And with Ananias, there is real fear there. Well, that this is want to get it, put in jail. He shouldn't. I mean, he shouldn't fear because the Lord is telling him to do this. But he he knows who this person is, and he's he's afraid. And the Lord gives him assurance. I'm trying to think of an example of the Lord um, doing that at another time. Well, I guess with Moses when he's talking to him in the burning bush. Five different times Moses comes up with an excuse why he shouldn't go to help yeah. the people. And every time the Lord is pretty patient with him, telling him what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Zechariah and Mary, maybe it's that Zechariah being older was a little bit more arrogant, you know, with his response. I don't know. I'm speculating <laughs> completely there. I, there's yeah. nothing... And, you know, and Mary needed yeah. that assurance being younger and having faith. I do believe you, Lord, but, you know, how is this going to happen? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Well, it's like he's checking, like, do I have the right person? Because I heard this guy is going to be doing bad things mm-hmm. to us. And then God says, yes, I have chosen him as my instrument. And, okay, and then he doesn't say anything else or it doesn't record what else he said to the lord he just says he went yeah it seems that ananias has talked to the lord before yeah so he was he was a prophet i mean that was his name yeah right yes lord but it says ananias was a prophet right he went to a disciple oh a disciple um but it like then then i just thought of samuel when he was a child Mm -hmm. and god was calling him and he thought Eli was calling him, and then finally he just says, yes, Lord. So maybe he just was expecting a message or something. So anyway, yeah, the scales falling from his eyes is always kind of interesting because later on in his other books he'll talk about his thorn in his flesh, and a lot of people think that could be still maybe his eyesight affected from this, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, when we get to the thorn in the flesh, we'll talk about it. I thought the thorn in the flesh with the eyesight, it could be eyesight affected by this, I don't know. Other people think it's uh, malaria that he has, which is why he... Nobody really knows for sure. It's all just speculation. Mm -hmm. But this is something where people were like, well, he had this major what do you say, trauma to his eyes. Now he can see again, but it's not quite perfect. Or maybe it's like, I don't know, some weird discharge from his eyes. That's one one theory I've heard. The one thing I would pull back from that is he doesn't say that. And he's able to see. And so for the Lord to blind him and then have the scales and have him be healed, to to suspect that it's... A partial healing that the Lord well, couldn't fully he did do there is there's precedent for that blind man when Jesus spit yeah on he, his eyes right and, he and the like, first time oh I see trees yeah, and then he does it again yeah and, it was like the first time like oh kind of better no second time that's better <laughs> mm-hmm. like when you're at the eye doctor like A or B 
And, uh, well, good thing you said B. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think we don't know. I mean, we don't just know. a lot of and if he can see, so he's not like still disabled. He's able to go a lot of places, as we're gonna find out. But he got up and was baptized. Ate some food. Let's keep reading. Saul in Damascus and Jerusalem. Excuse me. Um, this is verse. 19, or the second half of 19. 19b. 19b. Uh, silly verse numbers. Okay. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Gentile Jews, or I'm sorry, Grecian Jews, but when they tried to, or, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Anything you want to um, speak to in this section? Yeah, I think in a previous podcast I said that Saul was from Antioch, which I confused with Tarsus. Uh, he leaves on his missionary journeys from something called Pisidian Antioch, which is right outside of Tarsus. And I don't I, think you said that. Did I? Mean, I? I don't remember. I've... I said it in my head if I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> so, But anyway, uh, yeah, there's... It's Saul was just prepared for this so well. You, you understand this... Uh, them suspecting Saul of spying. Like oh, I'm acting, a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to try to get in and get more sure. people identified. And especially because for, all of the people had dispersed. We read that last chapter or two chapters yeah, they ago. Were scattered except after. for the disciples. And he's from Jerusalem. It's like, if we can only get the d- disciples, then we kind of cut off the head of the snake here. So... So they were maybe still kind of like hiding, like or or at least put in a secret place where people didn't know where they lived. Mm-hmm. And then because it says like, Saul's able to move freely, right? But then he wants to meet them, and and nobody is going to help them get to him. And he so he kind of was trying to get an in to get connected to them, but nobody wants to. Oh yeah, they live here, but you can't go in. They like don't even take him, except Barnabas takes him. The people that hear him speak in Damascus, 
the people that would have been hiding from him hear him speak and realize this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy truly does believe. And as we said before, his training in the Old Testament and knowing the entire argument of, in this case, I'm going to say the enemy, but the, the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees and the people that were really out to end the belief in Jesus as the Savior, mm-hmm. prepared him very well to counter all of those arguments with the true preaching and and knowing about the life of Christ. So he had that insider information to be able to really be a great tool for the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, he, he uses all of that information not to convert the Jews, but God uses him to go to the Gentiles the other well, people yeah but he always starts in a like a synagogue he always starts a, in a group synagogue. of jewish people or i mean those who have the jewish faith mm-hmm. maybe not um of jewish heritage but yeah no you're right and when are we gonna get to start calling him paul is that coming up i, uh, I keep slipping um the other thing after he converts it says in 31 the church enjoyed a time of peace. So it makes it sound like he really was the the ringleader, you know, the person who was driving this whole persecution. I mean, well, they're still going to be persecuted, but he was really the one lead, leading the charge. And now that he's not, um, some of the Jews are mad and they're trying to get him, but they're not as aggressive, maybe. Is well, that- you wonder how the... Jewish leaders would have taken this. How did he change over? What happened to him? If there's mm-hmm. fear that maybe this is the true religion, they don't want to send out anyone else because they don't want to give more support that yeah. their people are being converted when they actually talk to these people. and And... Later, we're going to hear that the Apostle Paul uh, goes to Arabia and for three years learns from the Lord. We don't completely know how that is, whether it's by revelation the entire time. But he could have gone to Tarsus for a short while, but then it seems that he goes away and gets trained directly by God, which is why we still call him an apostle. But Before we'll talk he about starts, that. man, my timeline with, with Paul is very blurry. <laughs> well, this happens yeah. where the disciples know him. Mm-hmm. Then he goes up to Tarsus. That's where they send him. Yeah. And then we'll get to it later uh, where he goes off and trains from the Lord. And then... For three years. Three years. And then he comes he back with Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I was just going to say, how much time do you think some time or a time of peace is? It could be like a month. <laughs> oh, I guess it's three to, f- I don't know. I, again, complete speculation. Just like considering how much violence and how scared they were and how, I mean, because what, 
Um, what year do you think this is when Saul's conversion is? Do you think he... I mean, because a lot of what we read was like immediately after Jesus ascended. Then we mm-hmm. have Pentecost. That's 50 days after. And then, you know, the appointing of the seven... It's got to be within probably a year, right? Yeah, I would guess this is within the first 10 years of after Jesus ascended into heaven. Hmm. I wonder if we could get more specific than that. Let's do some and research on this. Then, because the letters of Paul mm-hmm. start in the mid-50s on these missionary journeys. Okay. So I would suspect it's okay. nearer to that okay but oh, all right so they're having a little peace time growing in numbers all right how do you say this name Ain- Aeneas Aeneas all right chapter a oh, I'm sorry chapter 9 verse 32 let's keep let's finish this off as Peter traveled across the, or about the country he went to visit the saints in Lydda there he found a man named Aeneas and a par- or a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. She took, or he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, shows Peter has power, that he is still where he goes. People would be suspect of whether or not he is speaking the true word of God. And he is performing signs and wonders. And signs point to the fact that he is truly speaking the true word of God, truly true. And which at that time, we, these letters were not written. The The book that we're reading right now is not written. Mm-hmm. And Joppa's on the coast. But, sorry, you were Don't looking look at me. You're looking at Matt. Keep talking. Okay. So, anyway. Yeah, with, people are hearing by word People of are hearing They're by the word. reading this like we are. They're hearing, right. and there could have been more signs i mean obviously in the first couple books it was like all these paralytics are healed all these demons are 
you know, healed. So each one of those people who's had a miraculous interaction is going back to their neighborhood, their home, sharing their story with their family. Um, that's how we get thousands of people in a day. Um, I did flip back a couple pages in my self-study Bible because, what did they say, Lydda and Joppa and... Mm-hmm. Did they have one other city named here? Um, Sharon. I'm trying to see. There's a little map on my um in my self study Bible that I'm using, the Concordia self study Bible. Um and it says Philip and Peter's missionary journeys and it doesn't have a date. It tells you where in the Bible you can read about it, but I was just seeing how far away those cities are well Joppa's on the Mediterranean Sea in the south and that where is where Jonah was called from if you remember and then he jumps on the boat it's like kind of straight well straight east east northeast of Jerusalem on the coast and Lydda is about 10 miles inland 10 miles seemed a little farther than I thought it would be when it said they were close but you know people made that journey probably often So, anyway, um, yeah, the story of Tabitha Dorcas, um, always doing good and helping the poor. She was someone in the Christian church who people cared about, relied on, you know, yes, you would call her a saint, you know, like, Mm -hmm. she really cared for people, and when she died... They thought, Peter, you know, Peter's on his way here. This is, you know, worth worth putting her faith in the Lord and seeing what Peter can do. And they, you know, says she was doing good and helping the poor. That's all it says at the beginning. But then the widows stood around showing the robes and other clothing Dorcas made. So people believe she was a seamstress who kind of made things and gave them away right yeah a very charitable worker every once in a while in our churches you'll hear about dorcas ministries Mm -hmm. and it's not derogatory like a whole bunch of nerds getting around and doing something i mean nerds in the most positive light dork has taken a different meaning it is yes however um she yeah they come to peter and there aren't many people in the Bible that the Lord gave the power to raise the dead. Jesus does it, I believe, three times in his ministry. Peter does it once. Paul does it once. Elijah does it once. Is it Elisha also does it once? I believe there's ten total in the Bible resurrections from the dead. Hmm. That's seven. I would have to think of the other three. But... It's, and then the last thing that's interesting is he goes and stays with Simon the Tanner. And the Tanners would be on the outskirts of town because the things that they used to tan was very smelly and gross. Sure. So a lot of time it was waste products. And so it, it doesn't matter the... It's It's not like when he goes into a town, he's looking for the best house to stay in or the the most comfort or luxury. Yeah. He's staying with believers who 
love the Lord no matter. Well, they're charitable. They he yeah. probably said you can stay with me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, he's yeah. It's I didn't know that about living outside of the town. It's you know. It's interesting that it's the widows were mentioned so much in the story of Tabitha. <clears throat> I'm sure there were other men and people there, but just, you know, she must have been maybe serving them. Or maybe she was also a widow and she didn't have a family herself and that was her her kind of family, you know? Yeah. Well, she obviously was someone very important to these people to look for a miracle and for the Lord to give them a miracle through mm-hmm. Peter and just confirming their faith and and just to make it clear this is not she was not raised from the dead because of how great a person she was that might be why the request was made but she was raised from the dead to show to the believers the the power of the gospel message mm-hmm. that Peter had strengthening their faith and moving forward and because her existence would have been better being in heaven with the Lord but as Paul's going to say later to live as Christ to die as gain and she got to serve the Lord longer here on earth mm-hmm. yeah she's she's a uh... Well, she gets up and and everybody is a witness to that so part of it is it's a benefit for her to be serving more but it's a benefit to everyone else to have their faith strengthened that God can do anything and see these see this power I don't think she would have been like disappointed like oh, I was almost into heaven and you guys called me back mm-hmm. here you know like in a TV show or something but she, um, you know, so I always wonder what happens to these people if they, when they, like, are on death's bed a second time, people are like, maybe God will raise you again, <laughs> you know, like, oh, maybe you'll stay alive forever, kind of, I don't know, that's just kind of an idea, I wonder if people think, no, keep, you know, even with our loved ones here, people always say, I hope that you make a full recovery and come back and spend more time with us and when you really think about it or you you take a step back not from an emotional standpoint of loving that person and you say man I'm I'm pretty being kind of selfish here this person's not having a great life they'd be better in heaven and here I am praying that they're going to stay in this sinful world you know how mm-hmm. many times you want to pray to God for a miracle like you know, if it's God's will that they're here and, and some more great things are done through them, um, that's great. But, you know, sometimes it's God's will that you die. And obviously it's not his will that Tabitha dies at this time. But, you know, I wonder how many more times people prayed that over her her deathbed, you know, or how close to death she was. Is she an old woman and she dies five years later? Or is she, you know, in her 50s and she's got... Well, I don't know what lifespan at this time was, but she's it got a lot not, longer to live. Sometimes people say that, oh, people back then only lived to be 40 years old. But even at the time of David, they were saying the length 
something to the effect of the life of a man is 70 years or 80 if he has the strength. Yeah. So people did live a while. Okay, well, the, I don't want to get off topic. No, the one other thing is when, you know, I comfort people after their family members have passed away. Something to talk to them about is the funeral is always for the living, not for the dead. Because the dead are enjoying heaven forever. But we still, we mourn, we grieve. It's Jesus cried at the grave of Lazarus to miss a friend and not be able to see him until you get to heaven is sad it's emotional yeah. but for them they're they're happy they're with the lord they are com- they have completed their race and they're yeah well you miss them of course but you should be happy i feel like that but i also don't more noise in the same way as other people but i just yeah, feel but like you can it be, should be really you a can happy, happy time. for them but you can also be very sad and upset at the same time. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions. I think in some cases it's easier to be sad and upset. In other cases it's easier to be happy. I mean, if it's a tragic, unexpected accident, Mm -hmm. then you have a lot more people questioning why, how did this happen, taken too early, Mm -hmm. things like that. But then when you see someone who's suffered with a long-term illness or is very old then been in hospice for a long time people tend to be more like oh he's in a better place this was you know finally in heaven with his father and and i'm in part of a way i i still you know that makes sense to me but it, it is also very like earthly selfish mindset because you're thinking about earthly goals and earthly things like oh this person like if a college student dies in a car accident, mm-hmm. this person didn't get to, you know, start a career or start a family or do this. This is so unfair of God. And that's saying like that we all deserve to have these earthly pleasures, you know, mm-hmm. or we have to check off these earthly tasks. But when you're 90, you've done everything, then it, then it's okay with me if you die. Like, that's just kind of a weird attitude to have. Like, in my mind, I think you've done everything on earth. So it's okay with me if you die. <laughs> and I'm not judging people. No, I know. But I'm just saying that attitude is kind of shows that we have things on earth that we look forward to and we want, and then we project that on other people. And, um, you know, maybe that's where Tabitha was. Maybe she was a younger widow. She could have been a widow at age 21 or 30, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, people feel she's got some more life to live, and that's why they're so upset. I mean, if she was 99, would there have been this rush to go get Peter and call her to come help her? I don't know. I'm just you know, just speculating. Just something I, yeah. I think about at funerals is like, who are we to decide if this was the right or wrong time? Or I'm more sad because, you know, this person leaves behind young children. I'm less sad because this person is suffering like visibly suffering and Mm -hmm. it was time for them to leave you know but god knows what he's doing and it doesn't make sense to us and we just have to accept that yeah i mean i lost two friends in my 20s that were my age and one of them was a father and even had a a a child that was going to be born 
months later. And I think the morning that took place around that was so many people, he was a pastor as well, relied on him for spiritual strength and guidance that it wasn't so much, I'm not happy for him, but he was so much of a a part of their life. And so many people have built their spiritual lives and their earthly lives around him to remove that. It just leaves you with, what what do I build on now? Feel like you've fallen yeah. down, and that's very difficult. So well, it's more like of a integral piece of your life. Then I guess if you're looking at it that way, like a young person who leaves behind a family, or who leaves behind a church, or any other sort of business, like how will this family go on, or what are they going to do? Well, how is this church going to go on, or how is this business going to go on? And when someone's older, um. We don't They're necessarily reliant. rely on them in the same way or we're mm-hmm. used to being more independent without them. So maybe it's easier to let go because, yeah, we don't rely on them earthly the same way. Oh, well, <laughs> this is another good morning and <laughs> welcome to Contemplating Death with the Colanders. Uh, no, God <laughs> knows the best time to take everyone. I'm just always really like weird around death and funerals. I always kind of remove myself from it and look at it from a really like far away perspective. I'm not judging anyone for being sad or not sad. I'm not judging you, know, whether or not like, that's healthy or I not. I feel like but. you're judging me. <laughs> I should be maybe judged, but <laughs> no. God knows the right time, and people mourn differently. I think that mm-hmm. was the summary I was trying to get to, and I hope that Tabitha, when she it was her time, that everyone let her go. Yeah. And when we get to heaven, we're all up there. These are just going to seem like blips in the radar. Yeah. That, yeah. However, it's still tough now, but Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit <laughs> gave you faith. You'll be you're trying to like uplift I'm trying, the end of Yeah, this. something. If you're starting your morning like this, not to just. It was a miracle. It was God a miracle. God can do anything. God that's, can do anything. Even raised the from the dead. Yes. Correct. All right. Let's uh let's stop there before we get Okay. <laughs> okay, see you see tomorrow. You.